You weren't in the car on the way here. My wife was. And I normally share at least a little of the sermon or sermons I'm going to preach with her. And I told her, I have this place, I made a mental note in my notes that I could, that I could end the first sermon and then the rest of this material uh, would be the second sermon. I flew through all the notes this morning. I bypassed that little note. I, I preached all the notes. So this is not part two of John 12, 32, um, which I do quite often. But this is an issue that we've considered before. I wanted to stir up our heads and hearts to uh, partake of the Lord's Supper together in a festive kind of a way, not in a, a dirgish kind of way as if we are at the funeral of a loved one. should be a celebration, the Lord's Supper. It's a Delight for the saints to be able to say, we're going to proclaim his death together once again because we receive the benefits of Christ. And so this issue that I'm going to address today, kind of like an overview sermon, uh, comes from a statement I'll make. I'll make my claim. This is a truth-bearing statement. And then I'll try to prove my claim with various considerations, okay? So here's my claim. Christ takes believers to a better state than the first state of man. Christ takes believers to a better state, state of existence, uh, than the first state of existence of man. In other words, he takes many sons to glory. That's Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Christ takes many sons to glory. Now here are the considerations that I think or uh, give scriptural support to making that kind of an assertion. Uh, the end is better than the beginning is basically what the, the claim is. So the first consideration is this. Consider the fact that Adam sinned and fell short of something he did not possess via creation. Consider the fact that Adam sinned and fell short of something he did not possess via creation. Romans 3.23 is a pretty standard verse a lot of times, as a new believer, you you know you might have memorized this. I did. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, when that was first shared to me, it was applied to me, which it felt it applies to me. And usually, when I would use it, I would use it in evangelistic conversations to try to tell somebody, "Look, you've fallen short of glory too." But if we back up and think about it, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Who was the first man who sinned? Adam was, who was the first one who fell short of the glory of God. Adam, the first man, sinned and fell short of the glory of God. We could put it this way. He fell short of something he did not experience by virtue of his created status. If he fell short of whatever glory is, then he didn't have it, right? He was created unglorified. He was created able not to sin, able to sin. That's not... The state of glory. The state of glory is unable to sin. He was not created in a state that could be called glory, and he fell short of that state by sinning. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Adam failed to attain to that state because he sinned. The assumption seems to be if he didn't sin, he wouldn't have fallen short of this thing called glory. He would have attained it. He would have gotten there. In other words, Adam was created in a state 
that could have been improved. I know you've heard that before. You've been sitting under my preaching. When I first heard stuff like that, it was like odd. Like, what? Adam was created in a condition that could have been improved? Just to show you I'm not making this up as my own pet doctrine, here is that wonderful Puritan, John Owen. When you read John Owen, uh, a brother Tom has been reading one of John Owen's treaties. You can read for four or five pages going, man, that was tough sledding. Then you get a paragraph and you go, okay, it was worth it. It's not like reading Thomas Watson, every line's dripping with honey. John Owen, you got to work. But listen to John Owen says, man especially was utterly lost and came short of the glory of God for which he was created. For which? He was created for glory. Here now doth the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God open itself. A design in Christ shines out from his bosom that was lodged there from eternity. Puritans can use that language. To recover things to such an estate, such a condition, as shall be exceedingly to the advantage of his glory, infinitely above what at first appeared, better than the beginning, and for the putting of sinners into inconceivably a better condition than they were in before the entrance of sin. See what he says? The glory of God here does not refer exclusively to what God is or possesses, we might say, but what God confers, a state of existence on human nature better than the created state. So our first consideration is consider that Adam fell short of something he did not have by virtue of his creation, glory. Consider second what believers exult in or hope for. So what I'm doing is I'm using glory texts to try to help us understanding the first glory text or the lack of glory text. Revelation, uh, Romans 3, 23. This is Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Okay, so there's a, an eschatological hope, a confident expectation of the glory of God, whatever that refers to. Whatever it is, it's something that those who have been justified by faith and have peace with God, they can look forward to, okay? Here's what one man says on that verse. It is an exaltation in view of the exaltation and blessedness which Christ has secured for us. So he's saying the saints are exalting in God because of the exalted status secured for them by Christ. He's going to say, that's the glory of God. The glory of God may mean that glory which God gives, or that which he possesses. In either case, it refers to the exaltation and blessedness secured to the believer who is to share the glory of his divine Redeemer. Who secured that for us? Who secured a state of existence better than our current state, and I'm arguing better even than the created state of Adam and Eve, our Lord Jesus Christ? We get glory. We get a better state of existence. It is because it is conferred upon us 
and that because of what Christ has done for us. This glory is that to which Adam fell short, secured for us by Christ, and we can have hope, confident expectation that what he got for us, we're going to get in its fullness. Third, consider that the Old Testament spoke about the Messiah who would come, suffer due to Adam's sin and us in him, and enter into glory. We're not going to read all the texts, but hear Luke 24. Jesus argues sufferings and glory of the Messiah was amply and clearly taught in the Old Testament in more places than once. Paul, before a leader giving a public testimony, says, I I have proclaimed nothing but what Moses and the prophets said would take place. That the Messiah, that the Christ would suffer and would enter into his glory. Paul uses the suffering's glory motif in Acts 26. Jesus first used it in Luke 24 at least twice. One time Jesus says the Old Testament teaches the sufferings and the glory, the humiliation and the exaltation of the mediator. The Old Testament teaches sufferings and glory. And then another place he says the Old Testament teaches sufferings and resurrection on the third day. When did he enter into his glory? When he was raised on the third day. His human nature, in one sense, became it was not at the resurrection. Sufferings and glory is another way of saying humiliation and exaltation. His representation of us in the state of humiliation started at his conception and ended at his, we'll say, death burial. And upon his death burial, because of his obedience to the point of death, God highly exalted him. So he goes from humiliation, sufferings, to exaltation, which equals his glory. Um, When we see him, we will be like him. We'll be made like him. He is able to exert exert, execute divine power in such a way as to terminate it upon our bodies, making our bodies like his resurrection body, Philippians chapter 3. I better turn there. So whatever his resurrection body was like, that's the paradigm for us. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, wonderful verses to contemplate here. For our citizenship is in heaven which from which, from heaven, we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, here it is, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself, which is divine power. So the incarnate Son of God obeyed, he suffered due to sin, He entered into glory as a result of or reward for his obedience. And he did both as the last Adam representing those given to him by the Father before the world began. Obedience unto reward. What was the reward of the obedience of Christ? It was several fold. He shall see his seed and be glad. Okay, so he gets 
All that the Father gave to him will come to, come to me. Uh, he gets them all. He saves uh, the elect seed. But also the reward involved, um, can I use the word meriting? I'm going to use it. Meriting a status of human nature, a condition of human nature that was even better than Adam's created state. Uh, his glorious body, Paul uses it. We're going to be fashioned after that. When did he get that glorious body? The resurrection. The resurrection is the reward for his obedience. A fourth consideration is consider the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered, then entered into glory at his resurrection, will bring many sons to glory. I use this quite often. It's from, excuse me, it's from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, God, in bringing many sons to glory, in bringing many sons to this state of existence that Adam fell short of, for all of sin falls short of the glory of God, who's the first entered Adam, what he falls short of, that state of existence that Christ is taking us to make the captain of their salvation. Don't you love that? Who is the captain of our salvation? Well, the pastor is. You know, he's going to crash it up against the rocks and put holes in the side, and we're going to sink to make the cap, our Lord Jesus Christ, to make the captain of our salvation perfect, fully humanly mature through sufferings. He passes through all the stages of his human existence and he perfects every single stage. He brings it to maturity. He does not sin, and therefore he's rewarded with glory. We have the hope of glory because he attained it for us. That's, a, I, I think, good news. So consider the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered then, entered into glory at his resurrection, will bring many sons to glory. Now, can we say, might bring many sons to glory? No. Will he bring all the sons to glory that he intends to bring to glory? Yes. Can anyone stop him? No. Can those being brought to glory stop him? You know the analogy. No one shall snatch them out of my hand, but you can jump out. No, we can't jump out. No, Nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We're all created things. We can't separate ourselves from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Consider, fifthly, the fact that believers will also gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever that is, it sounds good, but what does it mean? This is 2 Thessalonians 2.14. You've heard the language before, 2 Thessalonians 2.14. I've quoted this verse a lot. But here it is. Uh, Verse 13 and then 14. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved, by, having been beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. That's very interesting. He doesn't say, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because you from the beginning did this, that, and the other. It's God. 
And then it says this, verse 14, to which he called you by our gospel, he called you through this to this salvation, for the obtaining, for the gaining, for the getting of something we don't have, the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the interesting language, isn't it? God calls his chosen ones to salvation through the gospel message, and they are going to gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means they get something they don't presently have, right? If you're going to gain it, you don't have it. What is he talking about there? Here's, again, John Owen. The glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, or the obtaining a portion in that glory which Christ purchased and procured for them. Very careful language. Christ purchased, he paid the price necessary, and he procured, he actually got a portion, a quality of life that the Bible calls glory. I like what he says there. Christ purchased glory for all he came to save. Is glory a benefit of Christ? Is glory something for which Christ lived and died, secured, and gives to us? Yes. Are we in glory? Don't be a hyper-preterist and say yes. If you don't know what that means, it doesn't matter. We're not in glory if you haven't figured it out. He did what he did, Christ, as the last Adam. He attained something the first Adam didn't attain. He got there. What is it? What did he get to? Glory. Why? Because he didn't sin. What's the opposite of sinning? Obeying. What does obedience get him? Glory, a reward. Because he is the last Adam, a public person, one standing in the place of others and doing things for others, the gaining of glory was on the behalf of others so that he might give them the glory that he gained. He suffered to take care of the justice of God and his obedience unto death got him exalted, entering into glory, and all those who are his will enter into glory as well. By virtue of his entrance into glory, being a public act, being a federal, a covenantal act, one on behalf of the many. He gets us, he gets there himself, but he doesn't get there for himself. He gets there himself for us. And then he confers that blessed uh, state of beatitude upon us on the last day. So we could say this, the last Adam takes his seed where the first Adam failed to take his. If Adam sinned and therefore in light of his sin fell short of glory and glory is a state of existence, then he failed to take his seed whoever he represented, to that place called glory. If Adam, as Christ is the last Adam, 
and he takes his seed to glory, then we could say Christ takes his seed where the first Adam failed to take his glory. That wonderful state of permanent holiness without the ability to sin. Remember, I've said this before. What in the world is that like? With no inclinations toward evil, with only holy thoughts and holy actions corresponding with the holy thoughts, always. Have you ever had a second like that? No. Are you ever going to have seconds like that? Yes. Every second someday will be like that. It's eye has not seen, neither has ear heard. All that the Lord has in store for those who love him. Now where's the pastor going? Jude 24 and 25, New American Standard. Great joy, blameless in his presence with great joy. What's joy? The quiet happiness of heart and soul that knows that all things are well between me and God. What's great joy? I have no idea. But I want to know. And someday when I'm blameless, what it means to be, be personally blameless in his sight. Blameless with great joy. Are we hovering? No. Will we be hoverers? Yes, it's a figure of speech. Are we bubbling? No. Will we, we be bubblers? Yeah, but not now. You know what I mean. Bubbling. My soul's just happy and so happy. I'm. Can you see? Can you hear the brush of angels' wings? Can you see glory on my face? No. That's a really weird song. But someday, I won't have angels' wings, but someday there will be that eschatological state, that thing from the future that's actually in one sense eclipsed this age in the resurrection of Christ. The foundation of the new creation isn't found in the future, it's found for us in the past, in the resurrection of the Son of God. The first citizen of the age to come is our Lord Jesus, who was resurrected because of his obedience and then lived on the earth for a while and then he ascended and he's in his current session. He's the first citizen. He's the first fruits of a great harvest to come. Okay, the harvest to come is not the foundation of the harvest. The first fruits is. The eschatological, the future uh, existence of the people of God in the eternal state, have new heavens and new earth. Glory isn't its own foundation. The resurrection is. See how important the resurrection is? The incarnation, sufferings and glory of Christ is a revelational, I've used this before, incision. God cuts into this world and sends his son who undoes what Adam did and the rest of us did, and does what Adam and the rest of us failed to do. He obeys unto glory and is conferred with that gift of glory, according to his human nature, at his resurrection as the first fruits of those that follow. When he comes again, according to the power that he has to tinker with all things, all the created things, he makes our body of weakness into a body of glory or power. 
And what's the basis for all that? Well, it depends on our works. No, it depends on his work for us in the past. It's an amazing thing. First time I read that revelational incision, it gave me the chills. I think it was Gerhardus Voss. You know, the, what is the incarnation, sufferings, and glory of Christ? It's, a, it's the revelational incision into the created realm like never before, par excellence, that answers all of our plights, all of our problems, all of our issues. It's Jesus, the wrath-bearing Son of God, assuming our nature for us and for our salvation, obeying from womb to tomb through all the places where we stained uh, 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 human existence, He assumes all those stages of existence to purify them, to sanctify them, and then he suffers. And then he's rewarded. And then as son of man, this side of the incarnation, and this side of his being lifted up from the earth, and this side of his ascension, during his current session, he draws and then there'll be that one drawing day. By the way, in reading the commentaries on John 12, some said it is true that he will draw everybody's body to himself someday. Somebody, some of us will be glad to be drawn body and soul to, to the incarnate Son of God because we know we're going to make it through the judgment. But others will be dragged. You know, there is the dragging against the will view of drawing all peoples, that does make sense, but it's not a pleasant one to think through. You who won't come to Christ will. Remember those judgment hymns, 240, 241, 242? Day of judgment, day of wonder. You know, it's an august, awe-inspiring. Look at these people who had offer after offer and offer didn't come. They're dashing their heads on the rocks. They're trying to hide. It's not, it won't happen. Everyone will bow. Some of us have already bowed in the saving way and come to Christ, filthy to be cleansed. And we have the great privilege of of, um, remembering his death for us together and asking God's blessings upon it. So let's do that now. Thank you, Father, for your word. We ask for your blessings as we come and try to obey you. Our hearts are never perfectly pure, Sometimes we do go through the motions, but in one sense, it's better to go through the motions and admit our cold hearts than not to go through the motions, than not use means. We find ourselves in need of spiritual um, uplifting, and yet we keep ourselves from the means. May it not be. So if our hearts, if our souls... If our minds are distraught and we're so distracted because of various issues in life, please help us now as we come together and hear the words of the institution of the supper by our Lord again, uh, who instituted this on the night in which he was betrayed for his disciples to partake in, that we might be reminded 
and have actually the benefits of Christ further given to us. So may this be a strengthening ordinance for us, fortifying our hearts and our minds so that we might serve you better. We ask your blessings on these things in Jesus' name. Amen.